We did indeed have a shower last night and the thunder and lightning, all of that. I was so thankful for the good rain. When I went out to my truck this morning to get my boots to walk the dog, I realized I had left them in the wrong place. They were well watered as well. We appreciate so much your good presence this morning and those who are viewing online. We know there are those who do that regularly and we are very mindful of that and appreciate it very much. Even people in other areas, other counties, other states watch our services and we appreciate your visiting with us by that means. Appreciate the good singing. W.A. would have enjoyed that last song, would he not? And uh, we appreciate Chris leading us in a concise but very comprehensive prayer as well. And now we turn our attention to a study of the Bible. And to aid you in that, we will have the lesson on the screen, but we have study guides that we hand out regularly. Began back in the days of Scotty Yeaman. He suggested that uh, process of having an outline available so people could write down the scriptures and have them at hand and study and uh, maybe take notes and so on. And a lot of people do that. So our ushers will be coming down the aisle. Raise your hand if you'd like a copy of that. <coughs> and you can, <coughs> by using that and the screen together, you'll be able to uh, keep up with the scriptures and uh, look at God's Word with us. America has a heart problem. The disease of the heart or diseases of the heart were at least for a long time the number one killer of people in this nation. It was our greatest fear much money was put into research about hard help. We saw, we have seen in our lifetimes, the development of open heart surgery. I remember the first patient that I ever visited in the hospital that had had open heart surgery. I was preaching in Baghdad. And one of the elders there and I went to Nashville to see this gentleman. We walked in, he was in bed, and his chest had been laid open and sewn back together, and I thought, man, alive. I could not believe that that kind of surgery could have been done. The chest was still bare, and I mean, everything was there for you to see. And you just could not imagine somebody having that type of surgery and being able to talk to you. We had a good, cordial visit with that individual. Now there are stents placed with little machines that just are amazing. They can send bugs through your whole system and determine exactly where blockages are, how to bypass them, all of that. 
I don't know if they learned that from road construction where we have all these bypasses that go around towns and all of that, but it is astounding. The things that have been done. We have made great inroads, but we have failed in reference to the spiritual heart. There's still a major, major problem in our world with the problem of sin, which is the major, major heart problem of our day. I've been thinking about this and contemplating some lessons on the heart, and we're going to be dealing with some heart issues. There are all kinds of hearts mentioned in the Bible, and we're going to be dealing with a lot of those and pointing out some of those. But today, I want us to concentrate on the importance of the heart when it comes to matters of life and death. And I hope that you will study with us these things with an open Bible and an open mind. The heart is very important. The Bible gives us a very vivid perspective of the significance of the heart and delivers to us the truth concerning what it does and the things that it determines. And I want us to deal with some of those things today. Emphasis is given to the spiritual heart because the heart makes such a difference. First of all, the heart determines the direction we take in life. That's the first of these four D's that we're going to be talking about. The heart determines the direction we take in life. Life can go in all kinds of directions. But as you read and study the Bible, it becomes evident that man follows the leadings of the heart. He goes where his heart leads him. We sometimes think, well, people just wander aimlessly about. They do in the sense of having no purpose, really not making the major and sometimes tough decisions that have to be made in reference to life. But they're not really wandering aimlessly. They are following the leadings of the heart. We have often heard the statement made that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you go to Proverbs 23 and look at those verses, we get a much fuller picture. Here's what Solomon actually said. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. But his heart is not with you. He says to you, eat and drink. But his heart is not with you. 
That gives us a much fuller picture, doesn't it? It is certainly true that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Because the heart is going to determine who that man is. The way he thinks, whoever he is, is going to determine the way a man lives. The way a person lives. But notice that it is the miser who thinks in his heart. A miser is one who lacks money. He just hoards it up. And uh, the idea here is that he can tempt others, nor desire his delicacies. He's offering things in order to get something in return from you. He says, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. That is, he doesn't have your best interest at heart. He's trying to take advantage of you. Now that sheds light on that particular saying, doesn't it? You say he's a miser because he's a miser at heart. And we must be careful lest we fall into his trap and swallow his allurements. Psalmist talked about the paths of righteousness, walking in them for the sake of the Lord, doing his will. Our heart will lead us in the paths of righteousness when we love the God of righteousness and his righteous word. Remember, the psalmist said, all your commandments are righteousness. Psalm 119, verse 172. The psalmist also said, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Should that not be the fervent prayer that we pray on a regular basis? Lead me in your paths, O Lord, not my own paths. Remember, Jeremiah said, it is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We're not capable of picking the proper path. You remember a few years ago, hadn't been that long, there was a race out in California uh, talking about a race where you run. And as they came to a certain point, all of the runners were inclined to go this way. One man said this way, and he took off that way, made the turn, you know, and, and everybody said, ah. and they, very few followed him. Everybody else is disqualified because they took the wrong path. He knew where he was going. He had scouted it out. He knew the terrain, and he knew that this was the right trail. It was the path to be taken. Maybe it was the one less traveled. In this event, it sure was. We need to walk in the paths of the Lord. 
Our heart will determine that. When we love Him and we love His Word, and we want to do what is right, when that desire fills our heart, permeates our being, and rules and controls our thought processes, then we will follow the paths of righteousness. Jesus said, and I was thinking about this last night, there are so many things that are so complex and so complicated in this life. I think one of the reasons Jesus is correctly called the master teacher is how he simplifies things. You can talk about going this way, that way, the other way, got to go backwards, forwards, whatever. Jesus says there are two ways that you can take in life. And you're going to take one of them. When all is said and done, life comes down to following that narrow way entered by the straight gate. And that straight, now that word straight, remember, is not the word to denote a straight line per se, though it is in a sense. But straight means difficult, a restricted way. It's sort of like the strait that goes between two mountains out there in the sea. It's a very narrow passageway that opens to a great and beautiful vista. And when you get through that narrow passageway, it's just beautiful to the whole. It's the best way to take. It's the best way to get to the desired destination. Then there's the broad way. The gate is wide. We use the statement often in this life, wide open. That's Satan's way. Man, it's wide open. You do whatever you want to do. And you can walk with me. That's what the devil says. That sounds like fun. There's a lot of pleasure involved in it. There's a lot of pleasure mad people in our world. They think that if it brings pleasure, it's got to be good. Whatever you enjoy doing, go ahead and do it. Because you only live once. I don't claim to be a prophet, but I knew it would inevitably happen. I've seen them too often. The party buses in Nashville. Oh yeah, I've seen them. I've followed some of them when I was down there going to the hospitals. Boy, those people were waving to everybody, yelling, tipping their bottles. One of them was sitting on the rail of one of those party buses the other day, the other night. Fell off, landed face first on the asphalt, and the bus ran over. A lot of fun in that, wasn't it? That's the way sin operates. Sooner or later, it'll get you. 
The Lord says, you can take that way. But the end will be destruction. Or you can make the sacrifice. Pay the price. Enter that straight way. Walk that narrow way. And you will live. And enjoy blessings that are beyond compare. Your heart is going to determine which you choose. Determines the direction we take in life. Number two, it determines the deeds we do, doesn't it? That's the reason the heart is so important and it's health, spiritually speaking. It's development in the service of the Lord is so vital. Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 6 that good deeds, the New King James says charitable deeds even, can be done for the wrong reasons. So he cautioned his disciples, when you do a charitable deed, don't go out and boast about it, brag about it. When you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet. Don't try to call attention to yourself. Go back and read those first four verses of Matthew 6. <clears throat> Jesus said, my disciples come from a different point of view and a different perspective. And he goes on to embellish upon that. Remember, he talked about turning the other cheek, going the second mile, and a host of other things in that Sermon on the Mount that reminds us that as Christians, we have a different mindset about this. We want to do what is right. Jesus also in Matthew 15 reveals that words and deeds spring from the heart. The heart rules the tongue. The heart rules the feet. The heart rules the hands, the ears. What we hear, see, do. You might say the heart that the Bible talks about is the control panel. It's amazing what the control panel of a jet airplane can do. Your computer acts basically the same way. You can send control or messages that will change the screen to this, that, or the other. That's the heart of the Bible, described in the Bible. Jesus said, beginning in verse 16 of Matthew 15, Are you also yet without understanding? Do you not understand that whatsoever enters the mouth goes into the belly, cast out in the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. 
but to eat with unwashing hands defiles not a man. Jesus made a very strong and powerful point. Those people of his day were saying that, you know, if you break our traditions that we have developed about hand washing, you are defiled, and you're going to have to go and offer all kinds of sacrifices. Jesus called to their attention the fact that the things that are going to condemn a man are things that come out of his heart and come out of his mouth and so on. Notice that those evil speakings blaspheme. And then the actions, the murders, the adulteries, uh, adulteries, fornications, and thefts. Boy, that is a needed topic in our days. People going into stores and just filling up bags and just walking out. Running out, coming out the front door at breakneck speed. A man on a show many years ago was asked how he supported his drug habit. And he unashamedly said, Stephen. And the host asked him, from whom? He said, oh, nobody. I just steal. And I'm sitting there thinking, what kind of reasoning is that? But that's the attitude that so many have developed. You know, if I see something and I want it, I just go ahead and take it. I'm not stealing from anybody in particular. I'm just stealing. No, you are stealing from somebody. It belongs to someone. Thievery is a major problem because the heart is a major problem. An unenlightened, ill-informed heart causes that type of attitude. Dark deeds are done by those who love darkness. That's what Jesus said in John 3, 19 and 20. They love darkness because their deeds are evil, and they know that if they come to the light, their deeds will be reproved, and they don't like to be reproved. Those engrossed in sin, just overwhelmed by it, just cannot stand to be reproved. It's difficult to bring such to repentance because their hearts are those stony hearts, hard hearts that you read about in the Scriptures, described by Paul as those who are past feeling. They have no sense of shame, no sense of sympathy, and no sense of remorse whatsoever. Lovers of darkness, we learn in John chapter 8, are children of the devil because he is the prince of darkness. Therefore, they live in darkness. Whoever controls the heart calls the shot. You could say, if the heart is under the control of the prince of darkness, then 
The deeds will be dark and dastardly as they used to be described. If they are under, if it is under the control of the Prince of Light, on the other hand, it will be righteous and bring honor and glory to God. Thirdly, the heart determines the durability of faithfulness. <coughs> How durable is our faith? Is our faithfulness to God of enduring durability? That is, do we really have the steadfastness that is described in the Scriptures as being required by the Lord in order to be faithful to Him and have His approval? How many times have you said or heard someone say, his heart is not in it? How many times have you gone to an athletic contest and just seen a team that just gave up? They just quit. They give up. Maybe some of them, maybe one or two people on the team try to rally them and they just cannot get them to come back. On the other hand, you've seen teams that do a complete turnaround and they make incredible comebacks because they do not give up. They do not lose heart. Christians can be and should be resilient people. And that's what the scriptures are about. Teach us about so clearly. You don't give up. You don't give in and you don't give out. You just keep on keeping on. Brother W.A. Bradfield used the word the first time I ever heard it. He was a great personal worker. He could sell an Eskimo a snowball. You know, it is just amazing what salesmanship he had when it came to the gospel. And he used the word stick to the first time I ever heard the word. And he emphasized that that's what Christians had to have. That they had to just keep on keeping on. The psalmist said, my heart is steadfast, O Lord. Can we truthfully say that to God? My heart is steadfast, O God. And then as he describes the righteous man, the heart of the righteous man in Psalm 112 verses 7 and 8, he said his heart is steadfast. Notice this, trusting in the Lord. Where does he get his steadfastness? From his trust. In whom is his trust placed? In the Lord. But I thought it ought to be placed in the almighty dollar. No, it's in the Lord. It ought to be placed in government. No, it's in the Lord. That's the source of his steadfastness. His trust is in the Lord. What's the result of that? His heart is established. He is firm in his convictions. He is anchored when it comes to his faith. You might say it's set in concrete. He isn't going anywhere. He's going to stand up for what is right. He will speak the truth, albeit in love. It's supposed to be that way. We know from the scriptures. And notice the second result, he will not be afraid. He is not going to be overwhelmed by fear. It's been a while since I've done it, but I would urge you to do some research on some of the early Christian martyrs. You can begin with Stephen right there in Acts 7. But go beyond that into the historical coverage given 
to various ones. Fox Book of Mar uh, Martyrs is a good resource. And there are others that were called upon to deny their faith in the Lord. And one said basically, I've served him 85 years. And I cannot deny words to that effect. That's not an exact quote. Israel's heart, on the other hand, was not steadfast. Psalm 78, verse 37, as the psalmist reviews what God did for Israel in Egypt and in bringing them out of Egypt, he then says that Israel's heart was not steadfast with him, God. And Paul's durability is a great example for all of us as Christians. In these letters to the Corinthians, we read about what he suffered. How often he was beaten. The stripes that were laid across his back. The shipwrecks that he endured. The times in the deep, that means in the sea. And all the sufferings through which he went. And yet his conclusion was <clears throat> that I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul's faithfulness was durable. Now, we're in the habit of quoting Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death. And it's just sort of like, well, I got to say that. You know, we, we, we need to say that. Do we really let the significance of that statement sink in? It doesn't say, and you've heard me say this many times before, but it bears repeating because we need to be put in remembrance. He's not talking about being faithful until death. The book of Revelation is about persecution and being faithful in the face of persecution, even if it requires that you die for your faith. That's what it's about. The heart that you have will determine whether you do that. It determines the durability of our faithfulness. It determines the destiny of the soul. Every soul has an eternal destiny. Jesus summed that up in Matthew 25, 46. He said, you're either among the sheep or the goats in his teachings. And he emphasized that the righteous shall go away into everlasting life, the wicked to everlasting destruction. Those are the two possible destinies. No in-betweens, no other choices. The heart's going to determine that destiny because the heart determines the deeds that we uh, do while living, how we live while we live upon earth, is going to determine how we are found in judgment. And as we're found in judgment, someone said, so shall we be forevermore. Jesus depicted two contrasting persons, a beggar and a very wealthy man. Boy, in life, they were quite a contrast. The beggar was laid at the rich man's gate. Dogs came and licked his sword. Just inside that gate, there was a man who was whining and dining and living in the lap of luxury, as we say. And what a contrast is presented. Just 
Think about that. You can see it in your mental eye, can't you? Then came death. And with the pulling of the curtain of death, the scene was reversed totally. Amazing, isn't it? The rich man is seen to be in misery. The poor man who was a beggar is seen to be resting. In life, the poor man was afflicted. The rich man was comfortable. In death, the rich man was afflicted and miserable. The poor man was comfortable. That should enlighten all of us of what kind of a heart we need. In 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul describes in verses 3 through 10 that those receiving the word and those who rejected and resisted will be rewarded in two very vastly different ways. Those who are persecuted for their reception and obedience to the truth will be given rest. Those who have persecuted them will not be comforted. They will be the ones who will be uncomfortable in the hereafter. Jesus or rather John, presents a very vivid contrast again in the book of Revelation. When you read Revelation 22, 14 and 15, you'll find that there are those who are in the city. They are inside the city. They have right to the fruit of the tree of life and all the other things that go with that. But he describes a very despicable group of people who are said to be outside the city. Why the different positions? The heart that each had determined that. The heart will determine the destiny of our souls. The diseased heart, that would be an evil heart, brings forth evil deeds. The healthy, that'd be a good heart, produces good deeds. We need to study those passages, and I have not the time this morning. Maybe we shall study them later. But you can do a, a good study of this on your own and you'll be blessed by it. Take your Bible, the good concordance, and look up all the passages that have the statement or a similar statement in it with all the heart. Remember, what's the first and greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But that's not the only passage in which that word, that statement is made. The psalmist said, I will praise the Lord with all my heart. Is all your heart in worship when we gather together to worship God? Think about it. But that statement is also used in reference to conversion. Philip told the eunuch when the eunuch asked, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip's words to him were these, if you believe, with all your heart, you may. Do you believe with all your heart? Then you need to do what the eunuch did. He made that good confession that he believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he was baptized into Christ for the remission of his sins. That's what you should do. If your heart is not in living the Christian life, you need to develop a new heart. Have a different attitude and outlook. Repent of your sins and seek God's forgiveness through prayer, confession. Come if you're subject as we stand and sing.